thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. Oh, and I'm Cindy O'Meara. Oh, and our Kimmy, she <laughs> has gone walk about. We're not sure. She could actually be on a plane. We're mm-hmm. not. <laughs> but we actually think she's going to be joining us very shortly. So she's probably racing to get onto the podcast. So don't worry, listeners. She won't be far away can hear her little feet stamping and running as fast as she can. But in the meantime, we want to introduce you to our amazing guest that we have on the show with us. You guys that have um, been listening regularly will know that we interviewed the beautiful Brandon Bays. And when we were talking to Brandon at the end of the podcast, she said, you know what, girls, you really have to talk to my partner. You really have to talk to our partner, and his name is Kevin Billet. So I would like to welcome Kevin to the Up For A Chat show because this podcast show, ladies and gentlemen, is going to be really enlightening. It's going to be really thought-provoking, and it's going to cause you to really question your own thought belie- thoughts and belief systems when it comes to... Um, how we handle tragedy and how we can handle some of the challenges in our lives. So, Kevin, thank you for being a part of Up For A Chat. Thank you for being um, the amazing server of humanity that you are. Mm -hmm. And thank you for keeping our beautiful Brandon Bays out there and sharing her with us in such a way that she's making such an extraordinary difference in the world and has done for the last 20-odd years. Yeah, thank you, Kevin. It's a great privilege and a pleasure to connect with you here. And it's been a great privilege and a pleasure to be alongside the beautiful Brandon, uh, my wife, for the last 20 years, working with this this amazing work that really changes lives at a fundamental level. So, yes, thank you. Thank you, both counts. <laughs> so, Kevin, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us who you are and how you came to do the work that you're doing. Because what you're doing is pretty life-changing. Well, it's all born out of the way that I met Brandon originally, Karen. Um, I was a pretty ordinary guy leading, I guess, an ordinary aspirational life, thinking that if I worked harder, did more, achieved more, uh, gained more, had more money in the bank, that I would be happy. And it never seemed to work out for me. And I'd suffered from psychical depression since childhood. Um, I can trace it back quite early to about the age of eight. It was first clinically diagnosed in my teens. And although I didn't like the diagnosis, didn't kind of buy into the diagnosis in many ways, depression had a grip on me for decades, cyclically, cyclically. And um, by the time I got to my mid-30s, it had spiraled into an an out-of-control, deep, dark depression where I was at the worst of it, quite incapacitated and the very worst in, in such a dark place that I was, was planning to take my life. And despite the drugs, despite the psychotherapy, despite everything that I'd done to try and break out of depression, was still spiraling into the depths from time to time and worse and worse with each episode. And the short story is that in 1994, I met Brandon 
uh, a friend introduced me to her brand new work called The Journey, even though I didn't know what it was when I signed up for it. And in a really amazingly short period of time, I found that depression was no longer part of my life. I knew that it had, it had just left me, not that I was managing it the way that I used to, not that I was hyping myself up the way I was uh, prone to do in the past, but I absolutely know, knew from the depth of my being that depression was no longer, uh, no longer in my cells, no longer a part of my life. And the truth of that, the, the, the radical awakening in that to who I am, uh, the teaching of opening to turn towards the emotions that I'd run away from and squashed, put, put under wraps in life, was so, it was so remarkable, so life-shattering that, that I just volunteered with Brandon and said, you know, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. I'll take time off work. I'll support you. I'll, I'll kind of, you know, do anything I can to volunteer to, to help to get this work out to people because I feel it's so important. Hence, Hence. we became business partners and uh, yeah. here we are. 20, gosh, nearly 24 years later now. That's amazing. Yeah, it was, uh, well, it's been quite a ride, Karen, but the, the original turning around from very severe depression in a very, very short period of time was remarkable, absolutely remarkable. And so that's become a passion for me in, in life. Um, depression is such a, a widespread condition, so pervasive, and it's crippling, debilitating for so many people. And the journey has some insights, um, some tools, some, some ways that you can really not just handle depression, not just kind of create, uh, you know, happy phases in your life, but get to the root of it and pull it out so that the, the, the causes are dealt with and the depression is no longer an issue. So that is my passion. Kevin, I have a, a question for you. So, you were very young when this was identified. Was there something that caused it or was it? There was, yeah. but it's, it's an amazing thing, you know, because when I was first diagnosed, I, I was basically told, well, you know, your mother has depression, your grandmother, we think, suffers from depression. So, like, duh, of course you've got depression, it's genetic. And at the time, I, I absolutely didn't want to believe that. And so um, I just went into denial, you know, and it's, it's not really unraveled itself until recent years. I've sat down and uh, written a book about it, a book that um, comes out um, late September this year. It's called Light in the Heart of Darkness, The Surprising Truth About Depression and How to Free Yourself Completely from Its Grips. And in writing the book, I realized that I'd suffered from depressive tendencies since very early in life. I was first diagnosed, as I said, at age 16. Um, but I, I've traced it back to, to the age of eight. And at eight, um, to give you a, a short version of it, my mother entrusted me with my little sister who was 10 months old, and I took her out in a pram, and we had a serious accident in the pram. And I thought that I'd killed her. For a horrible, like, 20-second period, I thought that Debs, my sister, was dead. And the trauma of that was more than I could cope with. And with most of the people that I've uh, dealt with with depression over the years, there's some trauma in there as, like, a, a seed. Trauma or traumas. Now, these can be kind of, you know, classic devastating traumas, or they can be more subtle traumas. Uh, traumas that um, are... are 
beings perceived to be important where other people might not think they were so important. But anyway, from, with me, from, from age of eight, this accident happened. The guilt was overwhelming. The fear that flooded through my body was, was out of control. And although Debs was actually unharmed, when I, you know, the, the out of control uh, um, pram, uh, when I ran after it, picked it up and turned it up the right way, she, she was strapped in. I didn't know that. She was, she was completely unharmed and actually chortling away. But the damage was done for me because the trauma lodged in my cells. Uh, but no way at that age of, of coping. Of course, as a kid, you know, what do you do? You, you look around and think, you know, am I busted? Did anyone see the accident? Am I, am I in, in big trouble yeah. here? And no one witnessed it. And yeah. so... I just shut down this enormous emotional response inside my body. Went back home, and of course, you know, your mother asks you, "How was it? Fine? <laughs> Did you enjoy yourself? Yeah. Is Deb okay? Yes." It's like non non answers. And she took um, Deb's in a way to feed her, and I went out into the backyard to play. But I had just no way of coping with the the emotional chemistry that was in my body, and so just kind of shut it down and I mean, just squelched it and forgot about it. But when I look back at that time now as, a, as a, an older man, I look back and I see up until that time I'd been pretty happy-go-lucky, um, quite kind of carefree, childish, um, quite up in life, I think. After the accident, I became a mini-adult just kind of serious, responsible, dour, stolid, all these types of things. It was like the, the, the juice had been sucked out of me. And all of a sudden, I had to be a, a responsible young man aged eight. And the, the joy of life just wasn't accessible anymore. It was like I had to hold everything together. Like I had to, feel for, for, for fear of life or death, be in control, keep myself under control, not be frivolous the way I had been playing with the uh, pushing the pram, like this. And so the seeds um, went right back to that time to age eight. And, and for me, yes, that was definitely a defining, a defining incident. And I found that, that many people have, uh, I don't say similar, but, but um, similar in vain, issues that are traumatic that we don't know what to do about, where the emotional chemistry runs riot inside our body and we use a variety of techniques to escape. And some of those techniques, the ones particularly that involve shutting down, so suppressing, keeping under wraps strong emotions, can over a course of years lead to, to depression. I, f I find it um, interesting that uh, it it does happen to some people, but other people can, you know, go through traumas and, yes. and they seem to escape it. Or do you think that instead of a mental illness, they may get a physical illness? What, what do you think, okay. Kevin? Well, there, there are a couple of points here, Cindy. The first is, um, let, let me speak to some of the, the myths about depression. Um, first, I'm, I'm really happy that it's more talked about these days than it was even, say, five or ten years ago. Uh, the fact that depression for so many years was, was almost you know, a taboo issue is, is crazy in these, these times. So I'm glad that it's, it's kind of um, um, been brought out into the light of day. What I'm less happy about is the way that it's described by most media and by orthodox medics. Uh, the biggest thing that I see in the press is this mental illness called depression. And I really would like to be, to be strong and clear about this. Depression in itself is not a mental illness. Depression is not a mental illness. Depression can cause 
mental illness under some circumstances, but it's not what it is. So if we're treating depression as if it's mental illness, we're treating a possible side effect, a possible symptom of depression. We're not actually even identifying what depression is, leave alone treating it successfully. So it's not a mental illness. Likewise, it's not a physical illness. That's not at the core what depression is. And in the same way, depression can cause physical illness. If it gets very extreme, if it gets very deep, of course, it it deeply can affect our um, endocrine system. It can affect our digestive system. It can can affect uh, pretty much every system running inside the body. And it it can can create, uh, how can I say this, Um, create a physical invitation for illness to occur. That's about the most accurate way I could say it. So uh, um, physical illness can be related to depression. It's not what depression is. Um, third thing I hear is depression is, you know, it's a genetic hand-me-down. If your, your parents or your grandparents had it, well, okay, you know, the chances are you'll have it as well. And it's just not true. I could go into great detail on this on, on the subject, and I, I, I won't here, but it's not a genetic inevitability. It's much more to do with a few different things here. Um, one I've talked, talked about, about already, most people who I've worked with with depression have some evidence of trauma or traumas that have been unresolved from the past. So by unresolved, I mean they've been outside of our coping mechanism. We've not known what to do with the trauma, and we've ended up shutting down emotionally. Uh, the second thing is the way we're conditioned, the way we're conditioned from early childhood plays into this significantly. So, you know, if there's depression in the air, if people around us are depressed, there seems to be a greater likelihood that we are conditioned similarly. So conditioned after birth, in, in childhood mostly, um, to, to respond in the same way to pressures that we don't know how to handle in life. So this is the second factor. The third one that I'm aware of, and this, this would answer the, to, to a large extent why some people are prone to depression and why others are not. It's this, we all avoid really strong or fearful emotions some way or other. But there are three separate ways, three distinct major ways that we avoid emotions. The first one is to override them. So to kind of big ourselves up to pretend that yeah, it's not our fault, it's not our issue. We get a bit blasé, if you like. We put our focus on others. We tend to blame other people. We tend to externalize our problems and um, use a technique called inflation. So inf- inflation metaphorically is like our balloon of, of self-image is pumped up almost to bursting. We're pretending to be bigger, greater, better, more than we fear ourselves to be internally. Now, this does not necessarily, not directly lead to depression because if we are externalizing, if we're blaming others for our circumstances, then we're not, we're not heading in the direction of, of kind of nursing our wounds and f- falling inwards into a depressive pattern. So inflation like this, it can cause burnout, it can cause us to become workaholic and to distract ourselves. But for about a third of people who, for whom this is the major strategy of emotional avoidance, they're kind of the, the running away, if you like, the bigging it up definitely. It doesn't automatically lead to depression. The second type of strategy to avoid emotions is called rigidity. And it's where we kind of brace ourselves physically, mentally, 
we harden ourselves against emotions, it tends to cause us to be uh, tense, uptight, rigid, rule-bound, perfectionistic sometimes, formulaic other times. Um, it can feed into depression, this particular strategy. It, uh, it's not the seed core of it, but it can definitely feed into, into a depressive pattern and cause anxiety depression. Because when we're tense and rigid in life, we do tend to experience a lot of background anxiety. Now, the third one, this is the one that's interesting. So two-thirds of people, I would say, roughly, not, not primarily prone to, to depression. The third mechanism, though, is called deflation. Now, when we are prone to deflation, when that's our major strategy for avoiding emotions, it's kind of the opposite of inflation. So rather than our balloon of self-esteem or self-worth or self-image being over-pumped, this is like someone has come along and let all the air out. And we have a natural tendency to collapse, so to hide from our problems, to withdraw, to um, kind of uh, put a lampshade over our life. We, we become more um, victimhood prone with this one. And it's like we want to hunker down to just hide from the pressure or to ignore the pressure or to go to sleep to the pressure of life until it leaves us alone. Now, this directly feeds into depression. So for one-third of people, I would say, there's the, the latent tendency, this tendency of deflation. It's predicated on shutting down emotions, so swallowing back your emotions, pushing them down inside the body. And it's a, it's a fertile, um, uh, how, would you, how would you say it, um, breeding ground, I suppose, would be one way of, of saying it, for possible depression. So deflation, in my experience, as a strategy of emotional avoidance, this playing small, holding back, hiding out, definitely feeds into depression. If we also have some rigidity in the mix, that can create the type of, of depression that's called anxiety depression. So I'm hoping that that makes some sense to you uh, both here. The, the one thing I want to add to that as well is that um, I've said what depression is not. Ultimately, what it is is important to recognize because depression is an emotional pattern. It's a pattern of emotional closure that then kind of spirals out of our original intent, out of our control, into something that started as a means to protect us emotionally but ends up creating much more pain than the original uh, traumas or pains we were hiding from. So it can be very, very serious for sure. I'm in no way underplaying this. Depression can be devastating. And at its core, what it is, is an emotional condition. And we need to address it as an emotional condition before we stand a chance of really kind of pulling the roots out and completely freeing ourselves from it. We need to develop more emotional intelligence, recognize the difference between an emotion and a state, which is um, emotion plus story. And I don't know if that makes direct sense the way I'm saying it, but briefly, an emotion, a pure emotion, if we feel it and allow it to flow, it will pass in a relatively short period of time. With very few exceptions, most emotions, if we stay story-free and we just allow them to flow in our bodies, they will pass through in a matter of 
minutes, um, uh, well, mostly minutes. Grief is an exception. It takes longer. But with most emotions, if we fully surrender to them, if we allow them to kind of have their way with us, even deep emotions that we're ter- terrified of, like worthlessness, devastation, um, unlovability, powerlessness, these types of things, they can pass through in a, in a short number of minutes. The complication that we seem to create as humans is that we love to tell stories. We love to add meaning to things. And one of our strategies of managing our emotions is to tell ourselves stories about them, like you know, what it is, why I shouldn't be feeling it, whose fault it is. It'll never go away. Oh, I must be bad to be feeling this. What's the, you know, the true reason this is here? And we create a dialogue internally around our emotions. And as soon as we do that, they stick. They don't pass through cleanly. They don't leave us feeling uh, washed clean. They don't take us into, into a place of, of expansiveness or freedom. They lock us. They bind us into, um, into a state, basically, into a mood at least. And if we keep telling the same story, into a state. So there's some education emotionally definitely needed around this. I think for a lot of people, the, the big realization is that any emotion is safe to feel. An emotion is just an emotion, but we terrify ourselves about what they mean by the stories we, we invent internally. Uh, the huge awakening that I had with Brendan and with the journey was this realization that any emotion can be met. You can turn to face it rather than run away from it or, or manipulate it or, or otherwise deny or avoid it. And there is huge emotional health in doing that. Once we stop telling the story, once we fully surrender to feeling what life triggers in us, then there's a massive invitation to, to freedom in that. Does this make sense to you guys? Oh, <laughs> it's amazing. I'm just mesmerised. What about you, Karen? <laughs> Oh, yeah, look, I've got like a thousand questions coming up in my mind. <laughs> I, I was the same. I was thinking, oh, my gosh. And then, and then you'd go on to the next thing. I'd go, oh, and what about this? But, yeah, okay. yeah but you've answered. Um, I'll shut up for a minute. No, and let you don't, don't. It's, it's, I think it's, um, I think I've it's never really heard it explained wow. like this. I, I've heard somebody say, you know, you, you hit your finger, you know, you hit your finger with a, a nail and, or a, thumb, um, a hammer um, and you, you know, you whinge about it. Um, but if you continue to talk about it and the story and the, the mood that you get in and, and I, I loved what you said, it was, it was brilliant. Thank you. Great. I find it's, it's, and, and I'm, I'm just kind of confirming what you're saying there, Kevin. I did a podcast with, um, a whole bunch of people on depression, um, on another podcast show, Karen's Catch, where I first interviewed Brandon back in 2014. Mm-hmm. And depression and anxiety was a big focus for us because of my own personal journey. And um, what one of them actually said, which speaks volumes to what you're saying here as well, I think this was the guy, he's a, he's a PhD that heads up the Black Dog, um, right, which, is, yeah. which is a depression uh, support society here. And he said that there's a distinction between depression and melancholy. And because we're so quick to label um, experiences that we're labelling things as depression when actually a person is just in a melancholic state and it's going on for months. But depression is supposed to be when, you know, they're in that state for an extended period of time, then it's more likely that they would, you know, start to, doctors would start to investigate that could be labelled depression. But we're labelling everything depression and then obviously medicating and diagnosing. And 
all of the stuff that comes from that as a, as a spin-off. So I just was thinking about that while you were talking. One of the things that um, I'm curious to understand is, oh gosh, I've got so many questions on this. So <laughs> first one. Okay. Number one. All right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the question that I'm interested to understand is what's the difference that makes a difference? Meaning, what's the difference between someone who will launch and attach themselves to the label of depression because it serves them or they get to excuse themselves from responsibility or it brings them attention versus someone who um, that doesn't happen to? Because I think from a lot of the, you know, from a lot of conversations I've had, and even from my own personal experience, I think it's possible to talk yourself into depression. And so, so what's the difference between somebody who has the ability to talk themselves into that, and then that becomes real for them, versus someone who doesn't do that, but they potentially have had the same sort of experiences? Is it just the story? What, what, what is the difference that makes that difference? Okay, well, um, that's um, a, a question with a few different answers. Let me focus first on going back to the the awareness of the three main strategies that we use to avoid emotions, because we we all are conditioned to to avoid emotions by some technique or other, and so if we inflate, that tends to create stories placing the blame for what we're feeling outside of ourselves. It kind of makes us immune to a lot of deep emotions. It, cr- it creates um, uh, an activity-taking, an activity-seeking syndrome that is not directly related to, to depression. So if you have a way of avoiding emotions by blowing them off, by anything from pushing your way around and bullying others to telling jokes and uplifting yourself and others to, in some cases, even pretending that none of this applies to you and who you are as someone who can help others with their issues because you don't have any issues. That leads to a particular lifestyle. It leads to a particular um, emotional undercurrent in life, but it's not, it's not pulling you into, into a depressive story. It, it does the opposite of that. Then if we go back to the rigidity, our rigid stories about what should be, what should not be, uh, what's right, what's wrong, what's black, what's white, what's what's moral what's ethical what's not and so there's it, with this type a lot of judgment there's um there's a lot of uh, like like um harsh criticism of self and others this can feed into depression but i, I think you can get from the words i'm using here they're not depressive words on their own again there's a sense here of striving for something that either could or should be better than it is and it can lead to tension it can lead to i am and lots of lots of other pains in life but depression not so directly then if we tell ourselves stories like oh, I'm the victim. This is uh, life doing it for me. Um, there's nothing that I can do to get out of this circumstance. I need just to, to rest. I need to go to sleep. I need to collapse. I need to hide. I need to pull back. I need to disengage from life in order to protect myself emotionally. Then you can, you can hear by the words that I'm using here, this is a depressive story. It directly feeds into 
the pattern of depression. And that's not to say we'll experience clinical depression, but the 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 the, the, the seeding is already there. Does does that make some sense to you? Just to, to explain it in in that way to start with. Yeah. No. Look, it does, and I I I, I appreciate that. I think that that's you know it gives it gives some clarity. So you know I I put a what's kind of driving my question, which is really. Um, probably what I should say. I put a post up on Facebook. Um, Gosh, it would have been about two or three years ago. And I said on the post, I said, I question the validity of depression as something that is inflicted upon us versus something we do to ourselves, albeit Mm. unconsciously, because of course, if we had a choice, we wouldn't do it. I totally agree with you. Totally agree. Well, I have to say, I I landed up actually taking the post down. Yeah, um, I can imagine. <laughs> because I got, and, and you know, like I was talking from my own personal experience, but also talking from my own professional training. And so yeah. I was, you know, wanting to start a conversation about how we how we do depression, why we do depression, what it looks like and how it actually gets to that stage. Um, but we had so many people who were um, adamant that they weren't responsible and that they'd been on medication and that, you know, of course they had the hereditary thing that came up Um, and traumatic depression was different. Well, okay. I get the same thing. If I I post uh, anything along the lines I'm speaking to you about now, I I get the vast majority of agreement with people who see it, and I get the minority Mm. uh, of people who are outraged that I would suggest such a thing. And so um, I take take some flack about it, uh, Karen. Well, look, if we're we're told to defend their their depression. Because it's a scary thing to experience, because they've been told uh, by orthodox practitioners that this is the way it is, because they're taking often heavy drugs that mess with your system and and provide um, some but dubious benefits, definitely not freedom. There's a lot invested in in believing what we're told, and if authority figures tell us these things, then then you know we, we tend to go along with it. And particularly for the sort of people who are prone to depression in the first place, um, there's a lot of sensitivity around protecting our own stories. So mm. lots of things fit, fit, fitting into this, and I'm not surprised you, you, you got feedback on it. I often, you know, I'm pretty challenging in the, the workshops that I give, and uh, I'll often provoke people by saying, Depression is a choice, and I'm hoping by the end of our two or three days together that you'll see it's a choice. You don't yet know that it's a choice. I'm not saying in the past you had a choice, because if what's taking place is unconscious, then we're not at choice. But once we realize the truth of what is taking place, once we personally get that, once we see the game that we've been playing, the tendencies that we've been living with, then there comes a point where it can be a choice, where we can be at choice with depression. And I've certainly I mean, arrived at that point a long time ago in my own life and seen now into thousands of people come to the same conclusion and live lives of, of freedom and innate positivity. I'm not talking about, you know, happy, 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 up, 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 you know, like this. I'm talking about a sense of grounded well-being, fulfillment, fullness, wholeness that is innate, is natural to them. So if 
we learn the right things, if we can see the way that we've been playing the game in the past and realize there are alternatives that are healthy and freeing, then th this is definitely the possibility. That's exciting. It is exciting. It mm. motivates me pretty oh, much every day. Unbelievably. Yeah, I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Cindy, over to you. <laughs> no, no I'm I, listening to you too. You know, I... I I have never experienced depression as far as that I know. So I feel like I don't know what people are feeling. But definitely, you know, I felt grief and I felt sadness and all of those things. So I feel a little bit um, out of it um, when, when I hear people say that because I've not experienced it. And, and Karen's always says, um, and I remember so well at our Functional Nutrition Academy Summit, Sometimes it's the experience that helps you understand how to help people. So I, you know, I, I, I know both of you um, have been through it because I've heard both your stories. So I, I'm really enjoying listening to a different aspect of it because yeah. I mean, I've always been told it was a mental illness. Yeah. I, th I think it's an important thing. It's de definitely been important in, in my um, mature life, let's, let's say, to be able to talk to someone who has depression and deeply empathize with what they're feeling is, is, a, is a magical starting point. Because, you know, for, for many people who haven't experienced depth of depression, it's, it's very difficult for them to sit down with someone who's got depression and to be in that empathetic place. It's like they, they want normally to use words to reframe, to help, to make someone see the world from the way they see it because they're not depressed. And these things just don't work with someone with depression. It can actually make things slightly worse when you're saying, well, do, you know, do this, think these thoughts, look at life this way. The hopelessness of that because someone with depression would normally perceive that as being hopeless, um, can actually make them feel worse, not, not better. So, yes, definitely. I, I live with gratitude for what I experienced, genuinely live with gratitude, because um, it's, it's ultimately led to a freedom that I wouldn't otherwise have experienced in life. And it, it definitely allows me to reach out to help work with other people from, from a, a place of understanding and of, and of empathy. I guess that's why we all have different experiences so that we can all be of use to um, whoever we are out there helping or to the world. So, yeah, I feel, I, at first I, I, I just thought when people say it to me, I just, I just haven't experienced it. And I don't ever try to help them because I don't know how to. I put them to Karen. <laughs> I guess that's a great, a great point, Cindy. Um, my, my spiritual teacher said, always speak the truth of your direct experience. Mm. And there's, there's been a lot, you know, lifetime, or half a lifetime for me of, of wisdom in that because then I realize if I'm just speaking the truth of my own experience, I'm not, uh, I'm not setting myself up as a, as a teacher, as an authority. I'm just saying, look, you know, this is what I've been through. This is what I've experienced. If that's of benefit, Mm. then please, you know, tell me and I'll willingly share. If it's not of benefit, then either we'll try something else or I'll shut up because I'm not here to convert anyone. I'm here to say this in my experience is possible. These are the things I've, I've learned and this is what I've inferred from these experiences. 
um, I'm willing to share that if someone is interested in, in listening. And some people are not interested in listening. There, there's no doubt. I mean, for, for many reasons. And I'm not here to uh, to preach or to convert to those. I'm here really to kind of uh, in, open a door and just to say, if, if you'd like to, to walk through and, and join me, then we'll explore. It may be a value to you. It may be not. If it is, what a beautiful thing. If it's not, then, you know, what have we done? We've shared some time together. You know, I think it's a really valid point. I remember when I was in the depths of despair, I had my family all trying to save me and everybody trying to tell me how to feel and what I should do to pull myself out of it. And it was very interesting. I think, you know, when people try to rescue each other, yeah. It just causes us to hold on even more, especially under the, the, the guise of depression in that because we're doing depression to ourselves because I believe we feel that we deserve it in some way or that it's right yeah. or that it's how it should be. And I remember, you know, um, when, it's, and it's just coming to me, you know, and I'm just thinking about this now as we're speaking, my mum would write me letters and poems and call me three times a day and bless her heart, she was just so terrified for me for years. and. I remember saying to her once, you know, it's almost as if it's invalidating my experience. So it causes me to anchor into it further. Um, But what I remember so clearly was the day I was ready, the day that I had had enough was Mm. when I saw I wasn't getting attention anymore. And that was so hard for me to admit that. It was really, really tough for me to say I was doing it because I wanted attention in the end. Um, and I knew what I was doing to myself. I was aware of what I was doing to myself. I didn't know how to do anything else. So there was an aspect that was very innocent. But when I became aware of what was happening, it was almost like 50% of the battle was won just through my awareness of what was happening, and it wasn't unconscious anymore. And then when I became aware of it, I went, oh, yuck. (laughs) That just feels yuck to me that I would be behaving this way in order to get attention but it was the wake up I I can't remember what the actual moment was that made me aware consciously aware of what was happening which then I guess it it caused me to start looking for help and different kinds of answers what do you think gets a person to that state of awareness where they would look for what you're doing and begin to work with you um, because as you say, there's going to be people who are ready and those that not, you know? Yeah, sure. Um, um, well, the, the attention-seeking aspect is is one facet, Karen. I, I think some people would recognize that, many would not. I don't don't personally identify with that in, in my, mm. my life, my experience of depression. Mm. I think that the main thing that, that I've noticed with people is that they have realized that what they're doing doesn't work. Yeah. And they want to find something that does work, even if that means taking responsibility for things themselves. Um, Because often, you know, we hand away power when when somebody diagnoses us with a condition and says, take these pills, then, you know, we've effectively handed over power, we've handed over responsibility, and we've gone, okay, take the pills and it'll be fixed. But the truth with depression is that, that the medication can change our states in the way that any placebo can change uh, change our state. Uh, but the drugs that we're, we're prescribed, even the, the most modern of them, none of them actually cure depression. There's not one. And the biggest majority of them, the SSRIs that are, that are prescribed by the truckload around the world, are actually um, 
it's really ironic this they're drugs that were designed originally to suppress anxiety so they're emotional suppressants prescribed for a condition that is essentially predicated on emotional suppression so they they suppress our abilities to feel even further and it does change the way we feel because we're very prone to to placebo effect so to in other words the sugar pill effect um, and I realize what I'm saying here is very contentious. The truth is that there is no drug on the market that gets to the root of depression and fundamentally deals with it, fundamentally handles it. it, it it's uh, the, the medication we're given is um, it, it's it's a, a travesty driven by profit motive with with big pharmaceutical companies, and it's no more than that. There's there's a lot of interesting research out there that that shows that uh, the way they tested these drugs to start with was based on very, very flawed methodology. And when they go back and um, um, meta-analyze the, the original research that went into them and, and apply proper parameters to them, that there is no statistical, no, uh, let me rephrase this to be accurate, no significant statistical difference between taking SSRIs, so the, the, the Prozac-type drugs, and um, an active placebo, so a placebo that produces side effects. There's no difference between the placebo and the drug in, in what they actually do for us. And, you know, people are prescribed with these horrible drugs with massive side effects so commonly these days. It is, it's craziness, absolutely craziness, because we're talking about something that can um, and it, with, I'm talking with willingness and openness here, with a willingness to take responsibility, with a willingness to learn and to feel. Um, and depression can be dealt with in, in a relatively short period of time. I'm talking, uh, I mean, in terms of time, probably weeks to a short number of months for someone to become completely free. Does that take some dedication? Some, yes. Does it take willingness? Absolutely. Does it take belief in anything? No, not belief. Just the openness and and, uh, and like being available to to feel and to learn something new. That uh, there are amazing ways to become free from depression if if we're open to them. I, I think the you know the drugs and the depression that you talked about, and I've read all that research that's there. Uh, right. Not only is about depression, but we could put that on just about any disease that's out there at the moment. Sure. But we're not looking at the root cause. And I love that you said that. We've got to find that root cause. And, you know, as my, you know, my dad said, and I said to Brandon as well, you know, nothing happens in the body unless it happens in the mind first. And, um, you know, you're talking about there's an actual energy in those cells that is a memory. And um, I, I, I just yes. love what you're saying. And But I, I believe that... Unless it's um, a life-threatening drug, that a life-threatening problem and you need that medication, we're just band-aiding all the time otherwise. And we're in that pill-popping society that we think that a pill is going to make us better physically, mentally and emotionally because we're taught that from the very beginning. You know, your mother says, here, take that pill. It'll make you feel better. So yeah. as a 16-year-old, you just go out and go, well, that white pill is going to make me feel better. Yeah. And this is, you know, that society that we're in. I know, and I know I've digressed, but I just I agree with you completely with that one. Yeah. No, it's it's a it's a big subject, and I, th I, th I think, I think that, 
there's a lot of truth. If we, if we were to expand this and look at a lot of other conditions, then there are emotional issues underpinning many, many, many of them. And the incredible thing that I've seen over the last 24 years of working with Brandon is that if you get to the root cause, if you get to the related traumas, the emotional shutdowns, and ultimately can resolve the issues and come to forgiveness, uh, things that people are told it is not possible to heal from, the body knows how to naturally heal. And I've seen it so many times. I mean, it still stuns me, awes me to see people turning up. I received a, a long testimonial from someone recently who was told um, she would never live to see a daughter go past the age of eight. And I think her daughter would have been about six or seven at that time. And she wrote to me recently you know, laying out what she'd done, journey work and you know, journey courses, the way she'd, she'd taken this into her life. And she said, and I'm sitting here, in, in full health, and she, she had a, a brain tumor of, of some sort, I believe it was, but a, a massive story here. And she said, and, and I'm seeing my daughter now in college, and she's 21, and I'm fully healthy. And this, this type of thing where people were told, even in, in, in extreme cases, I've seen people who were told they have a couple of weeks left to live, that they've had cancers that have metastasized and, and are just rampant throughout the body. And I've seen them heal and heal and heal by facing what they'd not previously faced, by opening emotionally in ways they didn't believe were possible, and by absolutely forgiving themselves, others, God, life, universe, and coming to deep peace inside themselves and deep self-recognition by letting go emotionally. And I've seen people from literally death's door turn around and live healthy, productive lives. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's a mystery here. I don't pretend I've got all the answers, but the methodology that can allow us to dip into the body's innate wisdom, this incredible capacity we have to, to heal and to be healthy and to know our own homes, I see it on a, 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 like almost a daily basis, and it, it just continues to awe me, it continues to blow me away. So, Kevin, tell us about tell us about the book that you've written and and the support that you're that you're offering to people. What do you so, so? How do people move to the next phase? Well, the the book is called Light in the Heart of Darkness, and it it, it does a couple of things. First of all, uh, I mean, I'm laying out there the the myths about depression and and debunking them. So there's more detail, obviously, than I can can uh, speak about here today. But to try and really pull the veil back on what depression isn't and what it is. And then using my story of, of living with depression, the things that I went through, hoping that people will recognize some of themselves in the, the, the stories that I tell, to really unearth what actually causes depression, what drives it, what makes it worse. And then ultimately, the most important, important part of the book is what can actually heal this? What can make it better? What can bring us to, to wholeness and to live depression-free lives? So the book is, uh, is a workbook. Um, I think that it, it's a good read. You can, you, can kind of, you can get immersed in it and, and enjoy the read if it's possible to, to enjoy reading stories about depression. I think it's, it's as uh, enjoyable as it could be. Uh, but the most important thing is it gives the wherewithal. The wherewithal is a variety of, of journey techniques and approaches and um, introspections that I've recorded and, and uh, posted online so people can access this. If they buy the book, they've got free access to me 
talking them through the work that they would need to do in order to free themselves. Because what we've seen over the years is you can, you can learn intellectually about any subject, but if you're talking about healing, you have to directly experience it. It's not about cerebral learning. It's about you go there, you experience it, you try it on for size, and you find out from the inside out what this does for you. And the book, I believe, does that. I've had some really I mean, phenomenal feedback on it to say that um, uh, people have not only enjoyed it, but uh, have begun to use it and have, have created, just by using the process work in the book and the audio uh, work, created phenomenal shifts in their life. And that's, that's my prayer. My prayer is that it reaches those who um, either have depression or some of the symptoms of depression, or even that they, you know, they're caring for someone with depression and they can pass the book on. The only thing that, that is needed is, is a willingness to, to look inside and to tell the truth. And so my prayer is it really gets into the hands of those who, who need it. I love the name of the book. Light in the Heart of Darkness, The Surprising Truth. Yeah, yeah that's an interesting thing. That was, that was my experience, you know. Um, my publisher sat down with me and he said, you know, I want a title that's born from your direct experience. And I, I sat there and opened, and I got quite emotional. Because I said, well, what I discovered, you know, people describe depression as being the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, if you come out of it, you come through the tunnel and there's light at the end. I said, that wasn't my experience. My experience from turning inward, from stopping the stories that I had about emotions and feeling them fully until completion, was that in the darkness there was implicit light. And I discovered that the nature of darkness is light. And so I said, you know, I discovered light in the heart of darkness. And he said, oh, there it is. There's your title. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was very meaningful to me. Oh, that's just so beautiful. It is. <laughs> oh, I just love that. It's like, oh, you know, it's just like being willing to see what else is possible as a result of the experiences that we're having rather than to settle and suggest that that's our life's yeah. lot. You know, it's I being think... willing to say there's got to be more than this and then look for it. Yes. Well, and look for it inwards, you know, for, for half a lifetime, I, I was looking for something better, something more, something else outside, and it led to disappointment every time. Oh and when I was told to stop and to truly surrender to what is internally, then a complete awakening to, to the divine self, to the soul, to um, an, a quiet greatness that has resided in me um, awake since that time. It's been, been the most extraordinary experience. I was just going to say there's a point of distinction here when we're talking about um, this turning inwards. And, you know, if effectively what we're saying is to surrender to what is. And there's a mistaken version of that that's been bandied around over the last few years where people are saying, um, you should just accept things the way they are. So in other words, accept the fact that you feel down, accept the fact that you feel blue, accept the fact that way, the things are not the way that you should be, uh, so they should be. And I think that there's a little bit of truth in that, but it's still laden with the falsity of the stories we tell ourselves internally. So what I'm suggesting here is to take a bigger step than that, not just to kind of... Um, oh gosh, how would you say this, begrudgingly accept the facts of life as they are, but to completely surrender so that whatever emotions that evokes are allowed fully until they complete. 
And in that, in that surrender, in that opening, in that real letting go to life doing whatever it will with us, then there's something magical that happens. Then there's, there's, there's a, an opening into an expansiveness and an opening into a freedom that doesn't come and doesn't go. It's a freedom of self-recognition that is, it's, it's implicitly who we are. And so this is a very different thing than just, you know, tolerating or putting up with or accepting life the way it is. Yeah, I think we can do better than that, isn't it? I had, a, I had a conversation with my massage guy this morning. So I was feeling a bit tight and I was, he was saying, you know, how he'd, been, he'd gone through some really tough stuff. And, and, and I was just saying to him, you know, he, and he said, you know, I know I need to learn from it. He said, but I don't know what I'm supposed to learn. And I said, right. why not try the direct opposite of what you're experiencing? Because, you know, if you think about light, the light is the opposite of the dark, but it's all one and the same. You can't, you know, like one, one exists because of the other one. And um, he was saying, okay, so what do I say if I feel like I'm fearful? And I said to him, well, what's the opposite of fear for you? And he said, well, it's courage, you know, I want to be courageous. And I said, well, have you ever been courageous before? And he said, not that I remember. And I said, well, you know what? That's the nature of challenge, isn't it? I said, the nature of challenge is that you learn new skills in life it's the nature of expansion if we keep doing the same thing we've always done then we're not taking the expansion opportunities out of life and it was a really it was a really cool conversation just to kind of go down that rabbit hole with him just a little bit to to look at what kind of experiences we had i'm really interested to Mm. To get your take on this, Kevin, um, and I and I appreciate that we're coming yeah, to the, end of the yeah. podcast. So thank you for your time. Oh, of course, I've, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I would say <laughs> that, that the the approach that I take and the approach that Brandon takes is a very simple one. If someone is in fear, then we just say stop, stop the story, stop the mental machinations, relax the body, and feel the fear fully until it completes with you. Yeah. And then if something else arises, just allow it to arise, allow it to, to be fully felt. And like this, if resistance stops and the, the internal dialogue stops, emotions can get deep, they can get um, into areas that we've previously avoided, let's say. They can yeah, be yeah, quite, yeah. Uh, quite deep and sometimes painful, but it, it's it's simply emotion it produces a particular biochemistry in our body if we stay with it it ultimately releases and allows us to realize something profound and this is something we could talk about it all day long but to experience it is what it takes and i'm so glad that i was taught how to do that all those years ago because it has profoundly altered the course of my life every aspect of my life Oh, gosh. And then now you're helping other people through your book. So how, how do our listeners, if they want to follow you and if they want, to, they want to read your book and they want to work with you, how do they do that? What's the best way? Okay, well, I've got a, um, a, a page that's just been set up for the book called Kevin Billet. That's K-E-V-I-N-B-I-L-L-E-T-T dot org. Um, details about the book are coming on there. Um, the book will be available late September as a soft launch. What we're doing here is I, I wanted to get it out cheaply, first of all. And so it's coming out as an ebook. It'll be available in English-speaking countries, including Australia, 
for, for a very low low price. I, I don't know what it is in Australia, but it's it's a very low price. Like I think in England it's ninety nine pence, so it's going to be probably like a, a oh, dollar wow. or something in in Australia. And we'll do that for the first couple of months to 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 see if if the, you know the book has got legs because I really do have a prayer for it to reach people, and then we'll see where it goes from there. We're printing a, a limited number of of uh, hard copies of the book, so. I'm going to try and get some of those out to Australia. Um, first thing, I think, join me on Facebook. If you look up Kevin Billet on Facebook, uh, you'll, you'll find me on there. Um, and and then on thejourney.com. So thejourney.com, all the journey stuff is is on there. My seminars are on there. Brandon's seminars are on there. Um, I've been teaching seminars on depression for several years now, and um, I'm hoping to be bringing those to, to Australia in, in the new year. Uh, it's called Out, Out of the Blue, and um, I guess you can find them those ways. So kevinbillett.org, thejourney.com, and check me up on uh, check me out on, on Facebook. Amazing. Did you have any more questions for Kev, Kevin, um, Cindy? No, I've, um, I've actually put everything up on the notes for um, everything to get to Kevin. I've got 100 questions for him, um, you know. <laughs> I'm going to read the book. I, you know, I think that... Yeah. That will give me probably a lot more understanding of what um, you, you're talking about, Kevin. And I've yeah. absolutely loved um, this whole interview that we've done with you. You, um, I just too. can't even imagine what you were like 20 years ago. To what oh we God, I, I don't don't even go there. Don't even go there. <laughs> Good, I won't then. It was, just a, it was a sad life of strife <laughs> up until my late 30s. Re- really, kind of, you know, doing the the kind of. Oh God! I'm mean, reaching for material success, believing that that was going to give me something. Uh, thinking that if I, you know, attained kind of material wealth and a lifestyle, and you know, the, the, the holidays and the house and the cars, that it was going to make me happy. It was. It was a pretty sad sight. And then since that time, and the, the great irony is as well as, you know, waking up and, and feeling, I, mean, I would say just kind of fulfilled and whole from the time I wake up first, first thing in the morning, that abundance has been free to flow in my life. I live more genuinely abundantly, more deep and loving relationships, more deep and lasting friendships, more connection with life, more connection with people. And then in that, I mean, the material wealth truthfully it's free to come and free to flow it's free to leave when it chooses to leave and i i just in, enjoy life deeply profoundly oh. I, you know i think everybody would love to be able to say that i do too yeah definitely yeah. I, I couldn't even have formulated the the prayer for the way i live these days back in those days is the honest truth do, do you know what i mean i i, I couldn't my my imagination wouldn't have stretched to create the possibility of, of what is actually manifested in, in my life. Um, I'm an ordinary guy, and I've been extraordinary, extraordinarily blessed, extraordinarily lucky in life. That's just wonderful. And, of course, partnering with somebody like Brandon, it's like you would always have, you know, new people that are, you know, wanting to work with you to help support themselves and get themselves to that next level. And I think that to be able to serve humanity in such a way, I'm not the least bit surprised why you have the most fulfilled and delicious life. Yeah. Blessed in that way. Absolutely. I mean, I've been a lucky, lucky, lucky guy in many, many ways. And having Brandon in my life is, is one of the greatest blessings of all. Oh, how divine. 
Absolutely wonderful. Well, Kevin, you have been an amazing guest on today's show, don't you think, Cindy? I'm guessing she's got I'm her here. On no, mute. No, I'm here. <laughs> I was just talking with my mute button. Just thinking of a polite answer to say that. <laughs> no, 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 I wasn't thinking polite at all. I just, I've absolutely enjoyed this. And it's I so think nice. the last words of wisdom um, just hold so true, so true. Um, yeah. Well, it's been a real pleasure to be with you both. Thank you so much. No, thank you, Kevin. Thank you so much for being a part of today's show. And for all of our listeners, please make sure that you reach out to Kevin, follow his work, follow his website, get a copy of his book, pre-order it, and when it comes for a couple of dollars, if that's what it lands up being. You know, I, I spoke at a conference on the weekend and I asked 700 people if anybody in that room had been touched by depression, anxiety, or even suicide. And do you know that there was not one hand that didn't go up? Wow. 700 people at that wellness summit, Cindy, all put their hands up. And then I, and then I said, okay, hang on a second. This is confusing. Tell me everybody that hasn't been affected in some way by either yourself or someone you know, and no hands went up in our whole room. Wow. So, it's obvious we're imploding on ourselves and we are suffering. And with the work that somebody like Kevin is doing, I think that we can all arrest some of these statistics and we can start to make a greater difference in our own lives and the lives of the people we love. Mm. So, Kevin, thank you for being a part of this huge, big message and for doing this work on behalf of humanity. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Karen. It's a great yes, pleasure you. to be with you and a real privilege to, to work and engage the way I do. So huge thanks to both of you. Oh, much love. Much love. Mm, likewise. You too. Yeah. So for all of our listeners, please reach out to Kevin, work with him, get that book and start to read it, make a difference to yourself and a difference to those that you love and especially our kids. You know, we've got a lot of people who are at risk in our lives. So let's keep our eyes open and our hearts open and keep ourselves inspired to make a difference. So for all of our listeners, if you've got any questions or any comments or any thoughts about today's podcast, we're expecting it because it could have been a little bit topical. So head on over to our Facebook page at allthews.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat. You can also post your comments at allthews.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. And join us here next week on Up for a Chat and become part of the ripple effect that is changing the world. We're going to see you on the line. Bye for now, everybody. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.